Why should Utah voters listening to this vote yes on Prop 3? <laughs> so many reasons. Didn't we just go over them all? <laughs> oh, we'll just, let's give it the closer. <laughs> Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. In a little over a week, thousands of Utahns will be voting on three big controversial ballot initiatives. And we're covering all three of them on this podcast as we get into the last days before the November election. In our last episode, we talked about the medical marijuana initiative, Proposition 2. Today, we're talking about Proposition 3, Medicaid expansion. This initiative makes Medicaid available to an additional 150,000 people in Utah. It's been done in other states, but it, of course, comes at a cost. Today, we're talking about the benefits and the costs of this initiative. We're talking to Riley Curtis from Utah Decides Healthcare, which is a coalition that is advocating for this Medicaid expansion initiative. Then we're talking to Representative Robert Spenlove from the Utah House of Representatives, who is opposing the initiative. Let's start with Riley Curtis from Utah Decides Healthcare. Riley Curtis, welcome to Un- Uninformed. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so before we dig into this issue, let's just get really basic here. Can you just explain Medicaid expansion? Yes. So Medicaid expansion under Proposition 3 will expand Medicaid coverage to about 150,000 Utahns. And these are Utahns who earn less than $34,000 a year for a family of four, and less than $17,000 a year for an individual. Now, I know Medicaid expansion has happened in other states without a ballot initiative. Can you kind of explain how, how that works? That's right. So there are 33 states who have currently expanded their Medicaid programs, and only one of those so far has done that through a citizen's initiative. Okay. There's actually several states, including Utah, Idaho, Nebraska, that are aiming to get Medicaid expanded in their states this year through a citizen's initiative. Well, great, because I probably have some Idaho people listening to this podcast, too. That's or, right. I don't know. Or what was the other one? Alaska, you said? Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. Okay, sorry, uh, all you... Alaskans. Um, okay, so now I know about initiative is not always the ideal situation. What would have been the ideal situation here? I know Utah legislature has been a little resistant. That's an understatement yes. of this. So let's talk about that. What 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 would have been the ideal situation? Yeah, so I actually have been working on this in Utah for over five years now. We, I worked for a nonprofit uh, called the Utah Health Policy Project, and we were working on this to do this through a legislative process. So we, um, our first year, we had the Senate support a Medicaid expansion bill. It was traditional Medicaid expansion like what you see in Proposition 3. And then the next year, they commissioned a study and said, well, let's study it more. So in the next year, the governor came back after the results of the study were in and he said, you know, doing nothing is off the table. And he understood the economic benefits. He understood the moral imperative to cover low-income Utahns with health care coverage. So he created his Healthy Utah plan. And so at that point, we had the Senate on board. We had Governor Herbert pushing his Healthy Utah plan, which was similar to Medicaid expansion, but a little different. Um, but we never could get it passed in the House. Okay. So Senate was okay. Senate was okay, yeah. All right. 
Yeah, two times we had an upvote in the Senate, but it just never panned out in the House. And so, you know, we we got some micro extensions passed where some single adults without kids could get coverage. We extended coverage to some 6,000 parents, but there's still, you know, several thousand parents in the coverage gap. And we're still needing 150,000 Utahns with access to health care coverage. So I understand that there's been resistance as far as like budget. I know Governor Gary Herbert has said, this is a budget buster. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, I would say like it's less so been Governor Herbert who talks about it in that sense, because what he's seen and what we've all seen from states have expanded is that it, it actually can save budgets money in other portions of state budgets, right? So when you expand Medicaid to single adults, you're actually going to see savings in your criminal justice budgets. Because right now, uh, uninsured single adults who treat jails and prisons as their primary mental health and substance use uh, uh, facilities, right, healthcare facilities, they are you know, kicked out of jail after, um, you know, they do their time and then they have maybe four weeks worth of prescriptions that the jail can provide them and then they're back to being unstable again. And so when Washington State expanded their Medicaid program, they actually saw a 33% reduction in recidivism and that equated to cost savings in their criminal justice budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can also see this say the same thing for uncompensated care costs. So the state budget, you know, usually sends money to hospitals and providers who provide uncompensated care for uninsured individuals. And in Utah, we can expect to see that be reduced by $814 million. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's it's not killing the budget. It's just it, it, it's a preventative upstream approach. That's right. As many healthcare things are. Yes. Ounce, what's that ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Uh, yeah. You, have you worked? That sounds like what they always say in the Department of Public Health. I've yes. been on the podcast before. <laughs> so it's all the upstream things like that. I've it had is. them talk about the opioid epidemic. Now, let's talk about costs, though. Yeah. Um, this is not coming for free. It's uh, coming in the form of taxes. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I will start framing it um, under the premise that we are already paying this, paying for this program. So under the Affordable Care Act in 2010, all states were supposed to have expanded Medicaid. It was part of the law. Yeah. And several states, including Utah, challenged the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, blah, right. blah, blah, took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in 2012, the Supreme Court came back and said, you know what, the premium subsidies are here to stay, like healthcare.gov, yeah. but what you can't do is force states to expand Medicaid. So at that point, it became optional. But what did not become optional was the amount of taxes each state was going to pay into the program. So we've been paying as if we have expanded this program, but we have not been reaping the benefits because we have chosen not to expand. Really? Yes. It's, it's a complicated yeah, thing to get across. but So we've been paying for it. So essentially, Utah has to come up with 10% state funds to cover the cost of, the of covering 150,000 Utahns. That will be matched $9 for every health care dollar we raise here in the state. And that's there are taxes coming back that we've been paying for the last five years. Utah puts in a little. Federal government brings back a lot. Yes. And this money has been set aside already. Yes. But we need a we need that what do you say 10% mm-hmm. in order to access the rest of that 90%. That's right. Now, and then let's talk about the actual number. Yes. 
How much? So uh, under Proposition 3, we propose to pay for the state's 10% portion by raising the state sales tax on all non-food items by 0.15%. So what that looks like for the average Utah is about a penny and a half or, you know, about a penny on $10. Yeah. And so, and I was kind of asking you earlier, like the ideal situation, if the legislature would have been on board for this the first time, they would have just included this in their budget rather than throwing it into our taxes, right? Yeah, we were, you know, when we were working on this in the legislature, we were looking at different ways to pay for it. And so we were offsetting costs with no longer needing programs uh, any longer, um, doing a hospital assessment, kind of raising funds and offsetting costs, right, by by those no longer necessary programs. Um, but we decided as a coalition and the groups working on this that we did not want to put an unfunded mandate in front of Utah voters. We wanted to make sure if we're going to ask Utahns to cover the 150,000 Utahns and that we have to come up with 10% that we knew where that 10% was going to come from. Yeah. And so... Before it would have come out of the budget, now it's coming out of, yeah, things we buy at the store. What is it, non-food items? Is non-food right? items, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, and and uh, that's, uh, what was it? A penny and a half per $10. Yes. Okay, got it. Now, I happen to be, at one point, I was a recipient of Medicaid. And I, I kind of thought felt undeserved because I had enough like food on the table and stuff like that. But it was really nice. So, it, but what was interesting was here as a single college student a few years ago, I had people my same age that were probably doing worse that didn't qualify for right. Medicaid. I mean, can we expect to see more of those people that would have been around me perhaps to have qualified? Yeah, so this is purely now income-based. Right now, like if you were to go out on the street and ask people who qualifies for Medicaid, they would say poor people, right? I mean, people that's just how people perceive this program. But truly in Utah, you have to be low income plus fit into a category. category. So you have to be low income plus be disabled or low income plus be a pregnant woman or low income plus be a very um, low income parents. So, you know, you have to be low income plus fit into a category. This makes it purely based on income. So, again, if you are a U.S. citizen and you are earning less than $17,000 a year as a single adult. Let's see. Per hour, you're getting about... That that's a little over minimum wage, maybe eight dollars an hour, um, if that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it becomes income based at that point. It doesn't necessitate that categorical restriction any longer. It's based on income. Got it. And what's really interesting in Utah, um, actually, in most of the states that haven't expanded so far, is we have what's called a perverse incentive built in for. Um, parents. Right now, the system is built to keep them from taking that extra job or getting that extra income. So for a family of four household, um, if the parent's income is between 13000 and and um, $25,000 a year, they don't qualify for Medicaid. But if they earn less than that $13,000 a year, they, they're eligible for Medicaid. So if they get a raise or they yeah. take on another job and it puts them in between thirteen and twenty-five thousand, they're kicked off Medicaid right now. We want to make sure as those families work them their way out of poverty and into self-sufficiency that they have that basic level of healthcare needed to maintain their health. 
so there's a lot of people in Utah that, well, Utah's mostly conservative, as we see. And conservatives tend to be opposed to Obamacare. So what do you say to the to voters that that are conservative that are against Obamacare? What about this initiative? How do you how do you respond to people that really don't like Obamacare? What what should they think about this? Yeah, I mean, this is really about making sure that our tax dollars are used in the the best and most fiscally responsible way possible. And that has really allowed this issue to transcend politics um, over the years, um, like political parties. So in aggregate, like in Utah since 2014, about 60% of all Utah voters have supported this issue. And it's been because um, most people know somebody who's in this coverage gap. A lot of people have seen health issues be put off until people go to the emergency room and it's now stage four cancer when it could have been caught with a colonoscopy at a preventative screening. And so we've got these these dollars we've been paying into this program. It's a use it or lose it program. We've been losing it for five years. We pay for the most um, inefficient way for people to get care right now through, um, as mentioned, you know, the jails and prisons as primary yeah. mental health services, um, people going to emergency rooms for um, for things that they shouldn't. And Medicaid expansion has been, a, has been shown and proven to reduce those costs and to be an effective uh, uh, source of health care for low-income Americans. My understanding is that Utah has passed something that does address some of these Medicaid issues. How does what they've already passed compared to this ballot initiative? Yeah, so the Utah State Legislature this last session passed a bill, uh, Representative Spenlove's bill, and it does essentially close the Medicaid coverage gap. The only problem is it won't ever get approved. So it covers individuals in Utah from 0 to 100% of poverty, and that's who our bill would cover as well, but ours goes all the way up to 138% of federal poverty level. Oh, and the other one's 100%. 100%. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Which means that, okay, if you're at poverty level, that's 100%. Got, yes. got it. Okay. That's right. And um, under the Affordable Care Act, in order to qualify for that enhanced federal match rate of 90-10, so 10% state funding, 90% federal funding, yeah. you have to go up to 138% of the federal poverty level. Oh. Yeah. So you're saying it's it's not even, that it won't work from the federal level. Right. So, and that's what we're seeing right now. The application from the state has been in limbo for seven months, and two states have asked similar questions of the federal government to allow them to go only to 100% poverty, and the federal government has not approved those waivers. So it's not looking likely, and to say that they've solved the problem when not one single person has been able to enroll under their initiative, that's... That's not the case. So the only sure way to do this is through Proposition 3. Because we are not asking the federal government for approval, we are telling them how we want our health care landscape to look in Utah. We don't have to wait for their approval. So just to wrap things all up, finally, why should Utah voters listening to this vote yes on Prop 3? <laughs> so many reasons. Didn't we just go over them all? <laughs> well, we'll just, let's give it the closer. Let's... Knock it out of the park here. Let's hear it. <laughs> so, oh, this is high pressure. So this is, I mean, this is really about making sure that uh, 150,000 Utahns get access to the life-saving health care that they need. And it's a value judgment as Utah voters that they have to make. Is it worth, a, you know, a penny on $10 to make sure that they have that access? 
Riley Curtis is with the Utah Decides Healthcare Coalition, supporting Proposition 3 that Utahns will vote for in November. Riley, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That was Riley Curtis from Utah Decides Healthcare. If you notice, Riley mentioned that Representative Spendlove is the one who is responsible for the bill to do a smaller form of Medicaid expansion in Utah. Well, I wanted to hear Representative Spendlove's side of things, so I, of course, got him on the show. Representative Robert Spendlove is from the Utah House of Representatives and has been involved heavily in Utah healthcare legislation, but he has been in opposition to Proposition 3, and he even wrote the official opposition opinion against the initiative. He now joins us. Representative Spendlove, welcome to Ununinformed. It's good to be with you. Now, before we jump into the actual proposition, I just kind of want to know your, your background. I, I know you've been working healthcare in Utah for a while now, um, particularly with Governor Gary Herbert. Can you, can you get me up to speed on that? Sure. I actually uh, started uh, on healthcare, gosh, about 11 years ago. I, w- I worked for the governor's office before I uh, came to the legislature. I yeah. uh, worked for, uh, I started with Governor Levitt, then Governor Walker, Huntsman, and Herbert. Wow. And in uh, in 2007, I remember uh, Governor Huntsman essentially assigned me to uh, uh, start working on health care reform. And um, and before that, I didn't really have a lot of experience in health care policy, but uh, I've been working in it for a long time now. Um, what, I, what I've learned, and this is what you kind of see happening with Medicaid, is uh, there's no easy solutions. And as soon as you try to address one area, another area pops up. And, and so what we're trying to do is find the, the best policy and the best way to, to do something, uh, acknowledging that there's really no perfect solutions. I definitely want to talk about what Utah has done, but maybe let's just jump right into Proposition 3 and your feelings on it. And it's my understanding that you were the writer for the opposition, the official opposition um, statement for this. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about uh, some of your big oppositions. It's a lot of it is to do with budget. So let, let's let's talk about that. Sure. And so but just let me back up a little bit, sure. though, because um, I, I, and I've said this many times, I commend the proponents of Proposition 3. I think uh, we're all trying to accomplish the same things. We're trying to help those uh, that, um, that, that need help, that don't have health care coverage, that don't have access to affordable health care. Yeah. So we're all trying to figure out what's the best way to tackle this and to help these people. And in, uh, uh, we've been working on this very issue of Medicaid coverage pretty much since 2012. Wow. And uh, uh, we've, we've you know, had some small expansions. We've had some uh, starts and stops. Uh, but finally, this year, uh, it was just about a year ago, in fact, uh, the Trump administration came to us and they said, we want Utah to be kind of a model for other states of how we can fill the gap and how we can cover those that don't have coverage. So in the 2018 session, we expanded. I was the sponsor of the bill uh, that expanded Medicaid up to 100 percent of poverty, uh, uh, completely covering the gap. So everyone that does not have Medicaid or does not have uh, uh, care coverage in the low income is living in poverty, so below 100% of poverty. So we 
uh, expanded Medicaid. We're covering uh, uh, 60,000 people, uh, which is the entire coverage gap. And, um, and we did it in a way that does not require a tax increase, doesn't require a new state, uh, state spending, uh, and gives people the coverage that they need. Uh, so my struggle uh, with Proposition 3 is it essentially uh, goes much further than uh, what we have already passed in the legislature. It goes up to 138% of poverty. Right. So what, what you're talking about is about $35,000 a year for a family of four. And, um, and so it covers an additional 90,000 people over what we're covering. But to do that requires a, a, a large tax increase of about $90 million. Yeah. And then it's going to uh, expose the state uh, to a, a, a lot of financial risk uh, because uh, in their expansion, it essentially says we're not allowed to have any kind of uh, cost controls. We're not allowed to have any kind of risk mitigation uh, mechanisms. So, you know, w- we have a great economy right now and we're, we're doing really well, but we are going to have a recession. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it will probably be in the next uh, two to five years. And when that happens, what we're going to see is the number of people signing up for Medicaid is going to go way up yeah. and our uh, but, and our revenues are going to go way down. And that's where we're, we, we have the potential to be in big trouble if we're not designing this program correctly. Okay, so the, the extra 38%, currently uh-huh. what, it, what it covers in 0 to 100%, my understanding is it hasn't come all the way through. Am I correct on that? You're correct. So the, the bill is passed, the governor signed it, but uh, any uh, changes to Medicaid require a, uh, a, essentially a waiver or a, approval from the federal government. And so we envisioned that it would take uh, several months for the federal government to approve it. So uh, that's what we're waiting on right now is that approval from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, but as designed, uh, the, the Medicaid expansion bill would be implemented uh, July 1 of 2019. So we're still uh, essentially progressing according to schedule. And I believe the initiative has similar time frames. So I think either way, uh, it would be expanded around July of 2019. But yeah, so so both uh, the, the legislation that passed and the proposition uh, would require approval from the federal government before it can be implemented. So what happens if the the current legislation doesn't get passed through the federal level. What I mean, we're back to the drawing boards. Well, it so and it, 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 I hate to say this, but it always it's it the answer is always it depends, right? So yeah. The the federal government usually doesn't approve everything or deny everything. What they do is they come back and they say, "Hey, we like what you've done here and here, but can we tweak this a little bit?" And um, so it's kind of an ongoing negotiation. Uh, so. What, what, now, if they did completely deny um, the request, then we would have to come back and you know figure out something else to do, um, figure out a different way to accomplish this. Uh, but I would say that's also true with the initiative uh, because there, there's a lot of different ways that they could could have put together the initiative, um, and so it will require uh, you know the, the federal government's approval as well. So w- what this is really is which way do we want to negotiate with the federal government? Do we want to uh, negotiate going to 100% of poverty or do we want to negotiate 
uh, going up to 138% of poverty, which essentially uh, the initiative would have us moving. Well, and we can get into this in a minute, but there's a, a critical difference with the coverage of those above the poverty level, because right now they have coverage. Uh, they have really good uh, coverage through the federal exchange, and we'd be shifting them from the federal exchange onto Medicaid. Got it. Okay. And and you said you wanted to go into something a little bit further. Let's, let's dive into that. So what we're really talking about, because both the initiative and the, uh, and the legislation that we passed is going to cover those below poverty uh, identically. So, you know, the, the entire coverage gap is taken care of in both of them. So the question for voters is, do you want to uh, expand Medicaid beyond that 100% level for those additional 90,000 people? Uh, do you want to uh, uh, increase taxes to cover this? Um, and so the struggle is, if we're not talking about uh, uh, people that don't have coverage above the poverty level. Uh, these people have access. It, it's what they call a Medicaid-equivalent coverage level. So the, their coverage through the federal exchange uh, is uh, as good or even in some cases better than what they would get on Medicaid because they get the choice of the kind of plan that they want, where they want to get their insurance. Uh, and so it, 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 essentially what we're going to do is we're going to force these people to uh, drop their uh, coverage through the exchange and move them on to Medicaid. And the, the struggle that I have with that is, uh, number one, right now, the federal government is paying 100% of their coverage on the exchanges, and then we're going to force them on to Medicaid, and then uh, the state is going to have to pay 10% of that cost, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's that $90 million uh, that we're going to have to uh, assume as a state. So I think it's better for the individual to have that choice and that coverage on the exchange. It's also better for the taxpayers of Utah uh, to have those people getting the coverage that, that they're currently getting through the federal exchange. So I feel like if neither one of these passes, I guess give me some kind of assurance that things are going to be all right if, say, this ballot initiative doesn't pass and what is going through the federal government right now doesn't pass. Just tell me of what, what do we have to hope for? Well, what I can tell you is this is something that I've been committed to for a long time. I've been working on uh, Medicaid ever since I've been in the legislature. Uh, I, I, and I'll tell you, well, first of all, if neither of them passes, I will continue to be working on this. We'll be, be continuing to bring together uh, the different groups, the advocates, the low-income community, uh, and figuring out ways that we can cover these people uh, in the coverage gap. Um, and I would argue that even if it does pass, let's just say best case scenario, yeah. the, uh, the initiative passes and the federal government approves uh, our, uh, our existing waiver request uh, from the legislation, then I, there's still uh, work to be done because we still need to be figuring out uh, how to cover people in the best way. And they're still figuring out how to... Uh, do it in the in a way that is uh, sustainable in the long term. So it's not. I don't think this issue goes away uh, after this fall. I think it's just a, another step in the process of make, making sure that these individuals have access to healthcare. Okay, great. Now, I guess so. Just kind of wrapping it all up, when 
Utah voters walk into the polls on November 6th or as they mail in their ballot, when they see Proposition 3, what should be going through their mind? I think what they need to be uh, seriously thinking about is, do we want to be shifting people off the federal exchange onto Medicaid? And do we want to be increasing taxes uh, to take on this additional risk and this additional uh, budget uncertainty when we've, when we've already essentially taken care of this? And so the, the reason I don't support it, even though I, I, I've been an advocate for expanding Medicaid, I think we need to do it in a way that's sustainable, that can really help those in need, and that uh, is something that our state can really manage. Representative Robert Spendlove is from the Utah House of Representatives. He joined us today. And thank you so much, Representative Spendlove. Thanks, Sean. That's Ununinformed's coverage of Medicaid expansion. And next week, we're doing part three of this three-part series on Utah ballot initiatives. So just to summarize, if you missed it, last week we talked about Proposition 2, medical marijuana. And just now we just finished talking about Proposition 3, Medicaid expansion. And next week it's Proposition 4. And let me explain that. So rather than allowing politicians to rig the system by choosing their own boundaries for re-election, which is called gerrymandering, Prop 4 will have an independent committee being the ones to drop the legislative districts. So stay tuned for that next week. If you're an American, (laughs) register to vote, dang it, if you haven't already. And if you're in Utah like me, you have until October 30th to register to vote. And you can do that online at vote.utah.gov. If I get at least one person to vote by listening to this podcast, I think I'll die happy. If you decided to vote because of this podcast, let me know by reaching out on the Ununinformed Facebook page or our Twitter profile or by leaving a text or a voicemail at the number 513-INFORM-U. That's 513-I-N-F-O-R-M, the letter U. Our music is provided by D.D. Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Ununinformed. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.